And thank you for all the uh, children and adults and everybody that have participated. I will tell you, there are times in youth ministry that it'll make you feel old. We started with the kids. We got to some teens. Chris Montgomery in there. And here comes the old guy, I guess. So I don't know. Um, and, then I, and then I hang out with some of y'all, and you assure me that I'm young. So I, I don't know. I, I get kind of both all in the same day sometimes, but I sure do enjoy it. Hey, before we get into the message, uh, Pastor John wanted me to make one announcement. Miss Mary Tomlin is now in a nursing home at 1725 Main Street, Clifton Forge, Virginia. I'll repeat that in just a moment, but I'll go ahead and set this right there after that. And so if you need that address to send her a card or anything like that, um, Miss Mary Tomlin, 1725 Main Street, Clifton Forge, Virginia, in the nursing home there. And so we'll continue to keep her in prayer. I am privileged to get to stand up here and preach, and I sure appreciate Pastor John giving me that opportunity. Boy, there's so many people that make our youth ministry successful. So many people that God is using in our youth ministry. And you might be thinking, oh, I'm not one of them. All I do is pray. Now, that's the top of the list. I mean, some of us do a bunch of goofy stuff all in the name of youth ministry. Prayer is the most important, and that we sure appreciate it. Boy, I appreciate each volunteer. I appreciate my wife for all she does. She's down there working on getting some things ready for our afterglow activity right now. I appreciate that she's a constant encouragement to everybody, especially me. I appreciate a church that has loved Atlee Waymack for years now, as he just lost his mom. I'm so glad that, that he can reach out and his dad to, to Pastor John and to me and no doubt to others. And it's not some brand new thing. We, we loved him before his mom passed and we love him still. And we'll do anything we can to help them. And that just, just one specific youth ministry situation that uh, we're dealing with right now and I'm just glad that we have a church that loves him. And some of you are probably thinking, I've never met him. That's okay. But uh, at the same time, your prayers and your support, whether you're one of the volunteers or not, it means so much. And I'm so glad uh, for each person here. I will say before I get into the title of my message, we will have an afterglow afterwards. So if you've got a chance, it will be short. If you have a chance to come grab some nachos, play one of my favorite games. A couple of our teens were nice enough to uh, ask me what the game was, and I didn't tell them. And so they accidentally started playing it. Uh, totally my fault. Not, not Kale or Jaylee's, not to name names. It really was my fault, and it was funny, and they fixed it. But one of our favorite youth ministry games, um, and it's a very quick, very easy game. So if you have a few minutes, come spend some time together. I know I could use the encouragement of just spending time with y'all, and I uh, hope you feel the same about everybody as well. Well, I want to preach a message tonight entitled, Some Things Don't Work in Reverse. And I think you would agree that that's the thing, but maybe you can think of some things that do. Can you think of anything that does work in reverse? Any of you, man, you hop behind the wheel of your car or that truck, and you can fly in reverse. So far, I haven't asked if you can fly without hitting anything, so you might not want to amen just yet. But uh, anybody pretty good? Anybody back a trailer faster than I can drive forward almost? There's not a speed I've found slow enough for me to back a trailer. I'll just be honest. I have practiced. I have tried. I am over-analytical, and if you've ever tried to back a trailer, the more you think about it, the worse you do. I am terrible at it, terrible. Y'all can try afterward to tell me how to do it, and I will analyze every one of your words while I'm trying next time to do it, and I'll do even worse, no offense. You could give me perfect advice, it won't work. But anybody like me, where if you're in another town where there is parallel parking, and uh, you could back in right there and parallel park, even with your reverse camera, you're gonna circle the block and find a different parking spot instead. 
couple people laughing, hopefully uh, somebody agrees with me. Uh, it is one of my favorite things about Rafine, or, or Raffine, as uh, Joseph Habedank said, is that parallel parking is not an issue around here. Uh, I take a little longer to parallel park, or to circle the block to park there, anytime I have to. Anyone else like me, and backward doesn't work well for you? Anybody else think they can't stare at those arrows for too long, or the fact that the big one's pointing that way, but the rest is going to make you dizzy and you can't even look there. Either way, I think we'd agree, sometimes some things do not work backward. They don't work in reverse. And we're going to look at four quick things from Matthew chapter 6 that do not work in reverse. I want to read just two verses from Matthew 6 to jump off here. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, kind of the end of a great passage that we're just kind of jumping right in at the end. It says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Our allegiance doesn't work backward. Skipping ahead to Matthew 6, verse 33, right near the end of our passage, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we look for all of these things to be added unto us, and then whenever we get around to it, we seek God, it's not going to work in reverse. And we're going to look at four quick, fairly practical things that really all tie together. But I hope it's some things that will be helpful and practical for your life tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the young people and the adults who got to participate in the service. Thank you for my privilege of being up here to preach. I pray that you'll continue to use your word, continue to use each person who serves and volunteers here at Marlbrook. We thank you for it. Thank you for all you're doing, and I pray that you'll speak to our hearts through Matthew 6, that we'll not get it backward, not try to do life in reverse, but that we'll keep the main things the main things. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, first of all, priorities don't work in reverse. Uh, if you're married and sitting next to your spouse and you want to nudge them and be like, yep, I told you, you were supposed to do that first yesterday and not the other thing because I knew you wouldn't get it done by the end of the day. Um, I'm imagining that's wives commenting about a honey-do list. Um, I, I amaze myself at how long I think some Saturdays will be. Uh, I can get to that later and then it doesn't happen. I try better the next Saturday. But in so many ways, priorities don't work when they're reversed, when they're backward. Matthew 6.25 is where we'll start reading for this point. Therefore I say unto you, because you can't serve God and man, you can't serve two masters, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor yet gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? It's so easy for our daily needs and provisions to become our priority and our focus. But if provision becomes our priority instead of God, our lives will be led by nothing more than sustenance and survival instead of salvation and spiritual growth. If we put God first, God will provide everything else we need in our lives in just the right places and at just the right times. We need to seek God first, not our own priorities. I heard a story actually in a sermon I listened to some of in preparation for this message. Uh, it was about a guy, the illustration was about a guy named Richard. He was recently recognized as the number one distribution center a region in his national furniture chain. I'm sure he lives, uh, he lives in El Paso and I'm sure he is very much elevated, no doubt well paid. And that's cool and all, but the backstory is phenomenal. Richard, in his own words, just wanted to quote, make money and get rich. 
to succeed financially in life. That's the before picture of Richard. His wife got saved and had the nerve to encourage him to read his Bible, and he did. And it, interesting, he read the fruit of the Spirit, and that's the passage that led him to his need for Jesus. I don't know that I've ever heard of anyone else getting saved from those verses. But he said, wow, that's what I want coming out of my life, and that's not what's coming out of my life. So I need this Jesus to save me and make me a new creature. I thought that was pretty awesome. He started going to church, and he didn't want to be someone who just went to church. He said, God, I want to serve the church. But his job, before he got to this number one spot there, his job required him to work right after church. So he could attend. He wasn't skipping service. He could attend every Sunday. But he had to leave right away after church, and he couldn't volunteer and serve because of that, and that wasn't good enough for him. His job asked him to start managing their warehouse and to overhaul it soon after he had said, okay, God, I need a new job because I want to volunteer and serve in the church. And wouldn't you know it, this new job in the warehouse seemed like a demotion from the sales floor where he had been working. But amazingly enough, the warehouse has Sundays off. He put God first and got busy serving God no matter what. And for him, God blessed his job, God blessed his finances, and God blessed so much more. He's been working there for 15 years, doing an amazing job, even recognized nationally, even getting awards, no doubt, raises. Simple story. But he put God first, and he saw God come through. Now, it didn't happen overnight. We get to read it there in about two minutes. But it takes a little bit. But if you and I will consistently put God first, God will bless us, and God will use what we do and what we sacrifice for him. I wonder right here in this moment, if you or I see some areas where God maybe is not blessing, like he blessed Richard, and you know right now in your heart that it's because you are putting yourself first and not God. Or you're putting money first, a promotion first, and not God. He took what he viewed really as a demotion. Wearing a suit and tie, working on the floor, his words, that that seemed like a demotion to go back to the warehouse. But God first, and that's what mattered. I wonder if anyone sitting here is not seeing the deep, meaningful blessings on their family that they so desperately want because they're putting family first instead of God first. Maybe you're seeing financial gains, raises. Maybe your adult children are also getting those blessings, those sorts of things. But you're not seeing the kind of blessing that you want to see and you know right here and right now it's because you're putting your family first instead of God first. And that one's hard because we often think it's even a saying, family first, family first, family first. But a lot of people put family first by having family day every Sunday. I have family day every Sunday too. I spend all sorts of time at church with my family. I can't think of anything better to do on family day than go to church. But so many will do anything else and it's family first instead of God's first. The simple truth is none of us will ever successfully put our family first until we put them second, until we put God first. And I'm just picking a couple of little examples. But is God first in our lives? Is he the first priority? Is he the one calling the shots? Is everything okay tomorrow morning as long as God's first? Or is everything only going to hold together if it's this, 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 and this? And then we'll try to get to God. I think a lot of people absolutely plan every day to put God first or second or third thing they do. It's really easy to say, God, I'll give you everything after I get this and this and this done. The pastor that I listened to preached with the, the Richard illustration, he mentioned about putting God first in our rising. Very first thing of the day, 
Now, some of you, you can barely open your eyes first thing, and you need a cup of two of coffee, or you're not going to be able to understand no matter what part of the Bible you're reading. I understand that. Maybe the first thing you do isn't read your Bible literally before you roll out of the bed because you could read the entire Bible and not a word would sink in. I get that. Doesn't necessarily mean Bible the moment you wake up. I love to have my devotions pretty much first thing. But at the same time, it does mean God first. Decide before you even open your eyes, before your feet hit the floor. Hey, God, whatever. You're first. I don't know what second, third, fourth, tenth. I don't know. I got a bunch of stuff to get done, God. You show me what to do. You're first. What's that mean, God? And he'll show you. Ask God what it means to put him first tomorrow morning. I think it'll be pretty cool what he shows you. Priorities don't work in reverse. God should be first. We'll talk about that more with a similar point in a bit. But second, where we place our trust won't work in reverse. Matthew 6, starting in verse 27, talks about this idea with trust. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Anyone willing to publicly admit right here and right now that when you were a kid in Sunday school and you first heard that verse, you sat there and you tried? I would have liked to have. I said we kind of went youngest to oldest. We definitely didn't go shortest to tallest because Brother Chris in there and then me. I mean, that didn't work. But at the same time, I wouldn't have minded to be taller when I was a kid. I enjoyed basketball. I still do. And I'm a little short for the NBA. A couple other things lacking like talent. But at the same time, we, we might want to add to our stature. It doesn't work that way. Verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not. Neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now I got to tell you a story. True story. I really wish it weren't. But I have heard about a guy that went out of his way to add to his stature. And he succeeded. Now, he didn't do it by taking thought. Certainly no contradiction to scripture. But he was a sumo wrestler. I believe in Japan I could have that wrong. But growing up, he always wanted to be a part of this one sumo wrestler league. This is a true story. You can Google it later. And uh, he had to be a certain weight and a certain height to be a part of this sumo wrestler league. Now, the weight probably wasn't a problem. I mean, all of us can eat some more, I guess. You know, that, that probably worked out. But he was about five inches too short. And he was going to miss out on his goal. So he had silicone implanted on top of his head. I believe it was five inches of it to make himself taller. True story. I've not seen a picture of him. I have seen a picture of someone else who did a similar thing, and then they outlawed it, and it wasn't allowed anymore. But take that as a picture. We can't add height to our stature. We can't you know, meet our own needs, and if we put our provisions first, it's going to be a mess, and it's not going to work out any better than that ridiculous sumo wrestler with five inches of silicone implant on top of his head. He kind of ruined his life to just get a little taller. Funny story, it absolutely is. I've told that story for years since I first heard about it because it's such an illustrative point. But just ridiculous, and you and I are so ridiculous when we get so consumed with worry and try to get this in reverse instead of trusting God, we trust ourselves or our efforts. Or Sometimes have you ever tried to worry yourself into a solution? That ever work? It doesn't work for me. I can worry myself into like a stomach problem or worry myself into some really frayed nerves or worry myself into a headache. I've never worried myself into a solution, but I have trusted and seen God do so much. I've trusted and seen God come through. But we can't grow our stature all on our own. But there is one thing we can grow on our own. 
One thing, we can't even breathe without God, but there is one thing in this world that I've thought of that you and I, we could probably do it pretty effectively if we really wanted to. We can grow an ulcer all by ourselves. Now, not without God's giving us life and breath. I get that. I'm not trying to diminish from God. But you and I, we can grow an ulcer. But it's not going to work well. That's like a picture of the reverse. I said it often during COVID, and I've said it since. I didn't know whether I would get COVID back in the thick of all of that or not. But I was committed to not getting COVID and ulcers from worrying about COVID. Still committed there. I, I had COVID, and I will admit, for me, it wasn't much of a, a risk because I was so healthy. God's blessed me so many ways. I mean, I know for many people, it was a bigger deal. But so many things, we can worry ourselves sick, or we can trust God. I heard another preacher put it in a sermon on trust. He said, Lord, what you ask me to do is so easy. He said, we tend to believe that it's harder for me to trust the Lord than it is for someone else. As if it's easier for the pastor or for someone who's older or been saved longer. They don't have it like I do. My past makes it different for me. And he said this, are we blaming our declining trust in the Lord on our circumstance? Every single one of us has the ability every single day to choose to trust God. I will say, it was John Getch that, that said that. He was our camp speaker last summer. Um, you can catch that message online if you want to listen to the whole thing. Um, he went on to tell a story. He was in a foreign country. I don't remember which one. But this very, very severely handicapped young man was brought to the church by the pastor uh, on a van. Um, apparently, I mean, severely handicapped, couldn't talk clearly, took a long time to have a conversation with him, uh, couldn't get around on his own, couldn't work, couldn't feed himself, literally the only way their family home was described was literally a hole in the ground at the end of a road. Now, we can say something's a hole in a wall around here in America, and it's probably just not, needs a new coat of paint and maybe a little, you know, a couple shingles or something. This was apparently literally a hole in the ground. And Brother Getch shares that at the end, again, struggling to understand this young man, he thought the young man said, hey, can you pray for me? And he's like, yeah, I'll pray for you, absolutely. Man, man you're going through all this, let me pray for you. Said, no, no, the, the young man got upset. No, 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 I pray for you. He trusted God so much for his needs and for his provision and for his life, he was less consumed with worry despite living in a hole in the ground, not even being able to walk, and trust was easier for him. Actually, it wasn't. I'm wrong on that. It wasn't any easier for him. He just made the choice that so often, I know for me, I don't make. And I'll worry instead of trusting. Trust is always a choice. But really, and this might sound like marriage advice, but it's true for our relationship with God as well, open communication leads to greater trust. You'd probably agree. Maybe you're like, you know, in any different relationship, a friendship, whatever. Open communication leads to greater trust. And if we'll have that open communication between us and God, it'll make it so much easier for us to trust him. I used to work at a pizza hut when I was a teenager. That's why I like Frank's or Papa John's and anything but pizza hut now. Ate way too much of it uh, when I was a teen. And uh, our phone system, it really wasn't the best. And it was often difficult taking someone's like carryout order to understand what they were saying, and we needed to enter their last name so they could get their pizza when they came to pay for it. And I would sometimes have to ask them to spell it. Hey, could you, you know, please spell it. And sometimes they'd have some irritation in their voice, and then they'd say S-M-I-T-H, or some other really common, really easy last name. That's spelled Smith. That would, if you 
still tracking there. Um, that's all right. I, the wheels were turning. You're good. I have it up here. So I have literally typed it on my paper. I get to cheat. But, you know, it'd be Smith or some other really na- easy name. And I just couldn't understand it because the communication system was so bad. I, I sure hope that one closed down, but I sure hope Pizza Hut has better phones now. But the communication system needed to be better to develop, to work properly. Let's develop the habit of hearing from God, of listening to him well, of talking to him, so we'll understand from his word and from his Holy Spirit what he wants to tell us, what he wants to show us, and that we'll be able to trust him more naturally daily. Let's have that open communication system that's hopefully far better than the Pizza Hut one. Next, our lives won't work if the number one spot is reversed. Now, we kind of already talked about that with priorities, absolutely. But it's been said, that, well said, that everything rises and falls on leadership. So let's let God lead. You look at a business and they'll say that. They'll usually, it'll be a boss saying that to like managers and assistants saying, everything rises and falls on leadership. So, you know, rah, rah speech, let's get going. Let's lead the troops, that kind of thing. And it's really true, but it's true in our life. Everything rises and falls on leaderships, leadership. So let's let God lead us. It ain't going to fall if we let him lead us. Matthew 6.31 says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? I love the word therefore at the beginning of Matthew 6.31. Therefore, because we can't add to our stature, we can't meet our own needs, but God can and does. Because of that, verse 32, for all, after all these things do the Gentiles seek, just provision. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Have him in the number one spot. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He'll meet our needs. Maybe not in the exact way we hope. Maybe not in the exact time. But I'll tell you this about God. He's done a whole lot more for me than just meeting my bare needs. Uh, Yeah, I have clothes, I have a roof over my head, I have food. He's done a whole lot more than that for me. He's met needs I didn't even know I had. He's met needs I didn't even see coming. And God is that good. Let's put God first. What if we deliberately start each day by making sure God is in his right place in our hearts and lives? Sometimes you might have to think, yeah, I got a long to-do list. My relationship with God comes first. I forget, I should remember who said this, but I forget what a pastor from past years said this. But uh, it was, I think it was from a couple hundred years ago. He said, I I have so much to do today. I'll have to pray for at least two hours before I can get to it. So much to do, therefore more time with God. How much is it where we have a busy day coming? We're like, okay, maybe I'll sneak in a few verses, mumble through a couple of prayers, try to remember God during the day. Uh, Pray without ceasing. Okay, well, I prayed in the morning. I thank God for each meal. That's, nah. This pastor was saying, no, I have so much to do. I've got to put God first. I'm going to have to spend extra time in prayer or I'm never going to get it done. He got it, as I so often don't get it. Where if he puts God first, God will take care of every need. Have you ever put God first and then realized how much faster you got the work done or how much better everything came together? I've had times where I've put God first and seen him work things out in ways I never could have. I could have spent the next day worrying and fretting and stressing myself out and giving myself those ulcers. But instead, on, on times where I thank God it right, put God first and seen him work it out. It's almost like you ever like go to sleep at night, just you're fed up, you can't figure anything more out, you're just done, and you know you need to 
figure something out with that situation, but you just go to bed. And you wake up, and your brain's a whole lot clearer, and you just kind of know what to do. Let's not just do that while we're sleeping. Let's allow God to be the one we trust, the one we put first, and see him organize our thoughts, organize our to-do list, and use us. It can be really stressful, and you might really want to worry about that to-do list or everything, but we'll put God first. He'll bless us for it. If we put God first actively, seek him first, then the most important part of our lives will always be in place. It'll be safe, taken care of right where it belongs, and we'll be ready to face whatever the day holds. Have you ever woken up from a deep nap or just a deep overnight sleep in a panic? Like the world's falling apart. You don't even know what you were dreaming about, but it's like, whoa, what in the world? Am I the only one? I don't have like night terrors. Sorry if you do, but I don't have that. But you ever just bolt upright and it's like you go through a mental checklist of what matters most. By the way, if uh, you're marrying your spouse, isn't number one that you check on to make sure they're okay? You might need to, to work on that. But I've done that where I'm like, okay, what in the world just happened? Wait, maybe everything's okay. Okay, my wife's there. My kids, okay, they're sleeping. And maybe you go with the, the, the dogs and the cat. I don't know who you check on to the house. No, it's not on fire. Apparently the world's not falling apart. And you almost go through a priorities checklist after you wake up, after you wake up in a panic. And then you're able to maybe go back to sleep after you know that all those priorities are right. With God in his rightful number one spot in our lives and in every area of our lives, we can have a proper, calm view of everything else in the right perspective. We can have that jump to the end of that panic where we know everything's okay. Because God's number one, he's in control. The number one spot is not to be shared. And that might almost sound strange or selfish of God, but no, it's really for our good and for crying out loud, we, we don't want the number one share, spot to be shared in so many things. Can you imagine recently with the Super Bowl, if the Eagles and the Chiefs late in the fourth quarter tie ball game, they said, time out, time out, refs, time out. And they all met at midfield. Like, this has been a great game. You guys have played well. We've played well. Let's split the championship. Let's just stop right here. Nobody needs to be number one. Some of y'all would have been screaming at your television. That would have been ludicrous. Imagine in our last presidential election, once all of the vote recounts and the contention and the debates and the anger, if Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump met somewhere and said, hey, let's just share it for the next four years. Can you imagine? That wouldn't make sense. The number one spot so often can't be shared. It's not supposed to be. And one of those times is in our lives. Our lives will not work if the number one spot is reversed. And lastly, Let's look at this. Emotional stability doesn't happen when we reverse our role and God's role. Really, right there in the phrase, emotional stability. Stability in Jesus has to come first or our emotional health will be a train wreck. And yet in context, this passage is talking so much about worry. One of the enemies to emotional health. And we'll worry ourselves sick or we can reverse it back to the way it should and trust Jesus. Matthew 6.34 says, Take therefore no thought, no worries, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And we can trust God and we can rest. We can get more sleep. We can enjoy our families more, whatever it is, with God first. And we can know that even the things that we're so struggling with, even emotionally with the worry, doing the opposite of Matthew 6.34, taking every thought for the morrow. And how's this going to work out? And how's that? And what do I do about this? What do I do about that? God calls us to rest in him. It was uh, football player Tim Tebow, who's a pretty outspoken Christian, said, none of us knows what God is doing behind the scenes. So be all in 
whatever you are doing. Kind of reminds me of take no thought for tomorrow. Be all in what you're doing now. You have no idea how God is going to use your experience as preparation for a greater purpose. And so much of we're like, oh, man, I'm going through this, and what about tomorrow? And we're worried about it, and God's using today to already prepare us for tomorrow, and we don't have to worry ourselves sick. We can trust him, be all in in the moment. It was Corey Ten Boom who famously said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Emotional stability doesn't happen when we reverse our role and God's role. Let's trust him to take care of it. It was this morning in Sunday school, in teen Sunday school, I shared with them two words that will ruin our emotional health if we let them. They came up with some different ideas. I think I worded it a little differently. I think I liked their answers at least as well as mine. But two words that will absolutely ruin your emotional health. What if? And if we sit there and think, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? What if I'm not prepared for that? Bottom line is we might not be prepared for what we face tomorrow, but God is. And he's able to give us anything and anyone we need. Absolutely, any resource. He's, he's wealthy enough, he's strong enough, he's connected enough, if you want to use that word. Two words that will ruin our emotional health, what if. But I also shared with them the two-word antidote, with Jesus. We talked about Peter stepping out of the boat to come to Jesus, and it didn't matter how big the waves were. It didn't matter how fast the wind was. It mattered that he was with Jesus. And as long as he remembered that, the winds could have doubled in speed. The waves could have gone 100 feet tall. As long as he's got his eyes on Jesus and he's with Jesus, it didn't even matter. They couldn't touch him, and neither can whatever you face and I face. Whatever we're facing right now, we've got some big prayer requests around here for people we care about. We know what they're going through. And we can think, what if, and what if, and what if, and what if? Or we can think, hey, with Jesus, it'll work out. I can rest. I can go to sleep tonight. I can go to sleep tomorrow night. I can face tomorrow because I'm with Jesus. I'm walking hand in hand, face to face, spiritually, with my Savior, and he's got it. Don't stop worrying because you figure out a way for you to do it. Let's stop worrying because we know Jesus can and I know it's easier. I'm hyper-analytical. I already said that earlier. I know it's easier to trust when we see the plan. I mean, if God handed us the plan, okay. Actually, I think we'd be like, what? I got to do that? You know, but he's got it. We can just trust that he's got it before we see how he's got it. That he'll work it out before we see how he'll work it out. I look forward to seeing how God draws near to Atlee and his family. I look forward praying uh, for little Chloe, um, and I look forward, Chloe Rochester, and I look forward to how God's going to work. I, I hope it's not cancer. I pray it's not cancer for that little three-and-a-half-year-old girl, but I look forward to how God works in that situation and brings good out of it. I look forward to how God brings good out of the situations that I'm doing, but I'll tell you, that's a lot easier to say in church than it is to live out. We're going to close in prayer, and I'm just going to pretty much simply ask God, to help each of us with that this week, because I know I need his help. I imagine you do too. Let's pray. God, you're trustworthy. You're awesome. You're infinite. And I pray that we will trust you. There's a lot of what ifs. And there's times where we're not facing a what if, we're facing a definite difficulty. It's here. It's not a maybe. But with you, we can. We can trust you. We don't need to trust ourselves. We don't need to worry ourselves sick. I pray that we will trust you every moment of every day. God, I need your help with that. And I'm sure everyone in here does as well. <laughs> Thank you for loving us enough to help us do what you've told us to do. And I pray that we'll be able to rely on that this week. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Remember, if you have a few moments, you want to head down to the fellowship hall. Um, I think some nachos are probably already ready or very soon. And then we'll play a short game and just, I don't know, 15 or so minutes. Thank you.